Hi everyone, I'm Clara. And I'm Philip. And uh, this is... Not exactly brain surgery. So, oh, you may notice that we are not Duncan and Dominic. Uh, and that's because today we are talking to a physicist. Um, her name is Lynn Patterson. And basically me and Philip are biologists. Um, we work in sort of an in-between world of biology and mm -hmm. other things. Yeah, there's there's definitely interdisciplinary aspects to both of our projects, but we definitely do not have a background in physics, um, and our physics knowledge is definitely limited. So, uh, yeah, meeting Lynn today uh, should be interesting um, to understand exactly what it is that she does with light. Yeah. And we'll let her introduce herself. Okay, my name is Lynn Patterson. Um, I'm a member of staff here at Harry Watt in the physics department. I'm a lecturer in physics. And um, I my research is in the field of biophotonics. So applying light and photonics to biology, to the life sciences okay. and um, the med biomedical sciences as well. What specifically are you applying to biology? My, well, my interest is um, using light to manipulate and interrogate single cells. So some people that work in the field of biophotonics look at tissue, mm -hmm. some people in the field of biophotonics look at single molecules, um, but I'm more interested in the area in between those two, so single cells. Mm -hmm. And my speciality is optical tweezers, so using the force and the momentum of light to pick up and move uh, microscopic particles. Oh, that right, I had actually, yeah, I had heard of something it's similar been in the to news. that as well. Yeah, 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 where it was like a flow of single cells and then there was some intense laser light that managed to sort of trap the cell where it was. Yeah, and yeah. Light has momentum and it can exert a force on, on a cell so you can push single microscopic particles like cells with uh, light from a laser beam, just like you can push a football with a jet of water from a fireman's hose. Yeah, so you can push a cell crazy. or you can have two beams directed towards each other, like two mm -hmm, fireman's mm -hmm. hoses directed yep. towards each other and trap that single particle or that single football in space and you can move, you know, you can mm -hmm, move the beams mm -hmm. to move the particles in 3D. But something um, that has been in the news recently because it won the Nobel Prize in Physics a couple of weeks ago, Arthur Ashkin won the Nobel Prize in Physics for optical, well, he won half of the Nobel Prize in Physics for yes. optical tweezers wow. and the, the amazing applications that mm -hmm, optical mm -hmm. tweezers have in biology. So optical tweezers uses a single beam of light, a single really tightly focused beam of okay. laser light to pick up okay. and move in 3D so a microscopic So that's not particle. the two fireman's hoses, that's still just one fireman's hose? It's one, but, but it's tightly focused. Like a... Instead right, of di okay. a diverging beam, it's a tightly focused beam through a microscope objective. Right, okay. And can you move it in any direction? Or Because when you say optical tweezers, I really just see tweezers. <laughs> so yeah. like picking up the, the cell. But Absolutely. But you're saying it's just one beam... How does it... It works in three dimensions. Okay. It, it works in three dimensions because it's uh, it depends on the gradient force. It's called a gradient force trap. So it depends on the gradient of intensity of the light in okay. the beam. So uh, a laser beam typically has um, a Gaussian intensity profile. So it's much more intense in the centre. There's a lot more light in the so centre and it falls like... off towards it's a, it's the, the edge. It's a bell-shaped It's a bell-shaped yeah. curve. Yeah, it's not yeah, like a yeah. top hat shape. Curve, it's a bell shaped curve mm -hmm. and that's a gradient in the intensity yeah so it's yeah. really intense in the center and then it falls away so you've mm -hmm. got this gradient intensity what happens if you have a microscopic particle that sees some of that laser light so say you've got a micro microscopic particle like a cell just on the edge of that la that focused laser beam um, so the beam when it's focused is similar in dimensions to the particle it's mm -hmm. micrometers 
thousandth of a millimetre in, mm-hmm. in size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that particle acts like a lens. And, you know, when light travels through a lens, it bends. So um, you get you get the, the gradient of the light. You've got, uh, because of the gradient of the light, you've got bending of different right. amounts of light as you right, uh, as okay. the, as, this, as the cells move um, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. the cell interacts with the beam, yeah. and eventually the effect of that is that the particles drawn into the into the center of the beam. Oh, wow. So it's an effect of light having a property called momentum. It can mm. it, light can actually exert a force on an object. So if you're walking down the street and the sun shines on you, it doesn't knock you over. It's not mm-hmm. strong enough. But if you were a microscopic particle and the light was from a laser beam, there's enough momentum there. When you've got that cell in your beam of light, then do you just move the beam and the cell will move with it? You can move the beam. You can, you, you can steer the beam just by tilting a mirror that oh, okay. the beam's reflected yeah. off and that'll move the beam in X and Y. Mm-hmm. And you can move a lens in the system and that'll move the beam okay. along the the propagation axis of the beam mm-hmm. yeah. or what I tend to do is to move the stage in okay. which we're trapping in which our particles oh, sample so is, then the, so the beam, stay in the, the, the beam yeah. stays in the same place and space and the whole sample's moving That's around crazy. it but the, right, your, 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 your particle stays it's, in your field mm-hmm. of view in the microscope okay. so what is the main application or what do you want the main application to be? I got involved in single cell isolation so trying to pick out a single cell from a mixed population mm-hmm. and giving it time and space to to grow the idea is that um, in the environment there's all sorts of bacteria that just won't grow in the lab so Mm -hmm. if you take a sample maybe from the marine environment um, there's about a million microbes per microliter of of seawater and if you were to pipette that onto a petri dish only one percent or less um, would actually grow into colonies on the dish so mm-hmm. what's happening to the other 99% they're just not they're not growing they're either too slow at growing or the nutrition yeah, uh, the, yeah. the, the components of the, the agar that they're growing on aren't quite correct or they're, or they're being out-competed by the other mm-hmm. fast-growing bacteria so optical tweezers allows you to pick out single cells take them on a little journey away from the rest of the population and mm-hmm. you and know, give them time give and them space, time grow, put them yeah. in a little empty yeah. chamber and give them time and space to, to grow. So that's one of the projects that I've been working on. With um, seawater? Yeah, with, with, with all sorts of samples, yeah. Okay. And another project is using um, light coming out of a, a waveguide. So a waveguide is a bit like the core of an optical fibre, so the light coming out of it is diverging rather than tightly focused. Right. Similar to our mm-hmm. uh, so it sort of fireman's hose. Yeah. Yeah, to give cells a push to separate out um, cell populations from a mixed population. So um, one of the things that I'm interested in is developing tools as well, ch- uh, devices, lab-on-a-chip devices, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm where we can integrate these optical forces. So we've been using ultra-fast lasers, so uh, lasers that have really um, short pulses of high energy mm-hmm. to write structures in glass, microfluidic structures and waveguide structures in glass. So we can create these little devices where we can control the flow of the samples and then we can oh. it, we can integrate laser beams to yep. actually to exert forces and pick out cells. So that, that improves the the throughput so using optical tweezers you have your sample under the microscope you find your cell of interest you pick it up with the single tightly focused laser beam the mm-hmm. optical tweezer and then manipulate it take mm-hmm. it away mm-hmm. so for the lab on the chip stuff 
do you see that having sort of medical application for you know helping with diagnoses or, or anything like that? Possibly. Because... There's so there's so many different applications. So being able to write these structures in glass means that. Yeah, we can write the microfluidics so we can control our sample. We can focus the sample so that only one cell at a time is going past a laser beam so we can interrogate every cell. With with the optics that we can write using the laser beam, so we can write waveguides Mm -hmm. to send the light directly into the channel um, to do the manipulation. But we can also look at fluorescence. So, you know, we we can sort out populations depending on how they're fluorescing. And that could be, you know... uh, an innate fluorescence that they just have, but you can label up your cells of interest fluorescently depending on which cells you want to collect. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you've got a fluorescent marker that will stick onto cells that are diseased, yeah, but yeah. not stick onto cells that are healthy, then mm-hmm. yes, you mm-hmm. can you can take a sample, label it fluorescently, pass it through our device, and very quickly get a readout if there are diseased cells or healthy cells. Okay. Um, also, maybe. There's something else about the characteristics of the cells that are changing, you know, between a normal cell and a diseased cell or a stem cell and a differentiated cell, and that could be stretchiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we can use these integrated microfluidic optical devices to flow our cells through and have two opposing waveguides and do a cell stretching experiment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the properties of the cell might manifest as size difference or a refractive index difference Mm -hmm. so um and that's the way that the light will sort of bounce around inside the cell exactly yeah yeah. refractive index will tell you how the light will bend inside the cell yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so if if a cancerous cell is maybe producing more protein than Mm -hmm. a normal cell perhaps the refractive index will change two different cell types with two different refractive indices will react differently to that pushing beam. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. we've seen that bigger cells will get pushed further in the channel than smaller cells. So that's a way to sort out cells or particles based Mm -hmm. on their size. And we think that refractive index as well could be a way to separate out cells. That's quite nice because it gets around having to fluorescently label your, your sample it's quite a labour-intensive procedure having yep. to do lots of pipetting and, you know, it, it's difficult mm-hmm. to automate that. So if you can just look at some sort of... You don't really want it to be... Prop- intrinsic yeah, you property want it to be label-free, really. Yeah. yeah. And then if it is label-free, you can collect them and use them further mm-hmm. downstream. Mm-hmm. You know, you've not... Uh, if, you, if you're labelling up mm-hmm. with a fluorescent tag, it's quite difficult to remove that tag. And then, yeah. if for example, if you want to use the cells in later experiments mm-hmm. or even put them back into a patient at the end of the day, then label-free is, mm-hmm. is the way mm-hmm. to go. So is that way most of the challenges of your research? Is it working with the cells themselves and deciding whether to have label or whether to, to look at the intrinsic properties? Or is it more on the, the laser side of things? Like, Does it require a really high-powered laser? And, it's finding uh, the right quite... biological question and the right hypothesis mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we've we've got the tools to write whatever sort of microfluidic channels we yeah, want yeah, we can yeah. we, we are, are whatever we imagine in terms of a device we know the parameters that of, of the laser beam and how to move the stages and how to fire the laser beam into the glass to make the devices that we want to make so sizes and lengths mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. dimensions but it's finding <laughs> the right biological question, question yeah, yeah. is is always I think when we're working from the physics side, you know, we know what we can do. And it's finding the right, it's finding that killer Finding the right fit, yeah. 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 
Mm. So you spend a lot of time chatting to doctors and and biologists well, yeah, there's or, lots or of collaborating with lots different of people. Collaborations, to, yeah. yeah. So from the, the the marine microbiologists to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, microbiologists that are interested in disease in animals to people that are interested in mammalian cell biology and mm-hmm. chromatin mm-hmm. biology and um, yeah, stem cell biology. There's lots of lots of uh, collaborators and we're mm-hmm. all trying to push lots of different sensing and manipulation projects to mm-hmm. to um, find what's most useful to mm-hmm. our collaborator. From that application you were talking about that you're working on with isolating bacteria from big populations, have you found any cool weird bacteria no <laughs> not yet yeah it's quite it, it's quite nice looking at new samples mm-hmm. you know um, we tend to always start our experiments with yeast just from okay. Tesco <laughs> baker's <laughs> yeast from Tesco they're re- a really nice size they're really tweezable <laughs> they're, they're, they're somewhere in between the size of bacteria they're really and tweezable I'm just thinking I'm wondering how often on a working day the word tweezable gets thrown around <laughs> in different settings unlike my eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, getting novel samples yeah. all the time from collaborators is is really nice to see how if if it works with yeast, does it work with bacteria? Yeah. Does it work with much larger mammalian cells? So um, we tend to test all the devices and setups with yeast cells to begin with. They're about five micrometers mm-hmm. in diameter, and then does it work with smaller cells, bacteria, which are about one micron or even smaller sometimes, mm-hmm. and then the larger cells. So there are there are limits in terms of size mm. but then we're looking at building optical tweezers on the end of an optical fiber now so oh, right, um, okay. we can modify the end face of an optical fiber so that the light from the fiber instead of diverging and spilling out mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as you said it's yeah. converging and it's tightly focused on the and end of the fiber tweeze. and we can yeah. strongly trap something mm-hmm. at the end of the fiber so if you move the fiber that particle will move along with it that's allowed us to trap slightly bigger cells just okay. because mm-hmm. of the geometry of the the beam Mm -hmm. but it's also really nice because it means that you can take that trap to any microscope so to any facility microscope where we can't get in the back of it and send our optical tweezer beam in having an optical tweezer on the end of an optical fiber means that you can do manipulation and trapping under um the Raman microscope that we have here, which is a f- facility, mm-hmm. or super resolution microscopes, which are su- super expensive, and mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm. you know you'll you'll destroy the warranty if you try and put a tweezing beam through the microscope objective. Right, so taking this portable optical tweezer on an optical fiber to any microscope is mm-hmm. is looking promising. And I was going to ask as well if your if your spot is is really focused into a tiny, tiny focusing spot to try and tweeze these cells. Is there any... Can can that damage the, the cells at all? Can that... Because yeah, great if there's really intense... Yeah. If it's really intense light, then I know it can, you know, could, could burn or, or something like that, potentially. Yeah. Um, we stick with near-infrared wavelengths of light. So mm-hmm. um, 785 nanometers. Mm-hmm. Um 1064 nanometers these these are um lasers that you can buy commercially and they're in the near infrared what that means is that um that wavelength of light doesn't heat up water it's not absorbed by water okay whereas if you go further into the infrared you will get heating of water mm. um also it doesn't heat up cells or pigments and cells mm-hmm. it it it's quite 
cells are quite transparent to that wavelength, so they, so you do just get bending of light rather than absorption. Right, okay. If see, you were to I use see. visible light, like ultraviolet, ultraviolet blue, mm-hmm, green, mm-hmm. even as you go into the red, you yep, can yep. start to um, get photochemical damage. So yep, you, you actually you're, you're, you're putting in energy that's going to break bones, yeah, and yeah. then that creates free radical species, and that's really bad for the cell. Yeah, or you yeah. see cells popping under the microscope, right, spilling their guts. <laughs> but in the yeah. near infrared, that's it's really nice for the surrounding aqueous, watery mm-hmm, liquids mm-hmm. that the cells are in, and the cells themselves don't heat up. In, in using the lasers that we use, there's, we don't mm-hmm, worry about mm-hmm. heating at all. Yeah, because as soon as you started talking about doing the optical tweezing down a fibre, um, the research group that myself and, and Duncan to some extent are part of are interested in uh, endomicroscopy, so imaging inside the body with mm-hmm. optical fibres. Mm-hmm. So is there, do you think there might be scope for optical tweezing endoscopy? Uh, or Well, think, not, not yeah, endoscopy, yeah. but yeah, using optical fibres to, to, to next... do optical tweezing inside the body yeah the next thing that's on my list of things to do is to take the fiber into a cavity and Mm -hmm. show that we can either take a single cell into a cavity to seed a single cell of one type in a a 3d structure of Mm -hmm. other cell Mm -hmm. types and then you can look at the effect of that single cell on the other cells yeah yeah Uh, or yeah build start to build a 3d structure within a cavity you know so take a single cell in place it in Uh place uh and then go out tap your other single cell, take it in and place it and then start to build the structure. That's quite Mm -hmm. slow though. But yeah, endoscopy and, you know, going into cavities. Being able to take a sample by just tweezing the cell. Or to take a sample, yeah. Yeah. Can you remove them? Yeah, so the force of optical tweezers is really weak. It's piconewtons, so that's 10 to the minus 12 newtons. So if you have a single cell that's surrounded by water and it's not tethered to anything, it's not stuck to anything else, Mm -hmm. yeah, you can pick it out and you know, if you move your fiber right, slowly okay. enough, mm-hmm. the particle cell won't fall out. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's stuck in a tissue, you know, if it's or if it's even if it's just got a few molecular bonds mm-hmm. sticking it to something mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. like a glass cover slip, the pico-newton force isn't enough to, oh. to pull it away. So you might have to combine that with some sort of laser drilling where you do have a damaging right, okay. wavelength and you know you can uh-huh, cut uh-huh. those tethers and, and it frees up yeah. the the cell and you can grab it and then. Maybe even combine that with some sort of channel that has a, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a negative pressure, and then you, you trap it first, and then and then you can uh, remove it. Yeah. Remove I'm it. seeing like a future where like surgeons are like looking inside the body, and suddenly like they see, oh, this is a tumor cell. Let's just take it out, and that's like the precursor to. <laughs> Like one cell at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but like obviously it wouldn't work for like a big tumor, and usually like surgeons will just take the whole thing out. But imagine if you could just in real time see like a tumor cell and be like, "Well, I'll just tweeze that out." <laughs> Single cell biopsy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I just want to take one cell. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking as well when you're talking about building a, a structure with using these optical tweezers to place the cells. I assume that would have to be machine guided or, you know. Yeah, or a I very mean, patient PhD <laughs> yeah, student yeah. that could take three years to build one structure. Yeah, because yeah. I was just thinking how much human sort of decision making would need to be. Would it just be sort of writing uh, some sort of program or code to try and yeah. instruct yeah. the... The tweezers, right? Yeah, the, the, there's there's quite a lot of automation happening in optical mm-hmm, tweezers. Mm-hmm. So you can use a single beam, or you can have you know a pattern of multiple beams. You don't need to limit yourself to a single beam. So you right. can create an, a three. You can even create a three D array of patterns if mm-hmm, you want. Mm-hmm. Pick up um, 
a, a pattern of cells in three right, D okay. and move that through space. Ah, so it doesn't um, have to be single cells. Doesn't have to be a single beam. Right. Okay. Um, and you can uh, you can exert rotational forces, so you can turn things with it once they're trapped as well. Mm-hmm, if you need mm-hmm. to orient thing, if you need to rotate things, uh, particles. Um, but yeah, automation. Yeah, it's being used just now. We've mm. done some automation and particle recognition. So usually when we're doing our single cell isolation, the user is looking at the image down the microscope, choosing the cell based on the morphology or the fluorescence. But that can be automated. You can mm-hmm. say, I want cells of this size or cells that look green and not yeah. cells. We'll ignore all the cells that aren't green, take mm-hmm. the cells that mm-hmm. are green out of this sample. So and, if you know what you're looking for, that allows yeah. you to, to pick them up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask if I can change the direction slightly. I was just going to ask a bit about your background and how you found yourself to be in the world of of optical tweezing cells, because you mentioned that you uh, originally had a background in biology. Yeah, and um, my undergraduate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. My undergraduate degree was in molecular biology, mm-hmm. and um, I really I remember doing imaging, and I liked the imaging part. And I remember a fourth year module, uh, one particular lecture was about manipulating chromosomes inside cells using a glass needle. Right. And I, d- I thought it was awesome that you can do this intracellular mm-hmm. surgery. Mm-hmm. And that always stuck in my head. And I wanted to do cancer research because of what I was exposed to in my undergraduate degree. I really enjoyed learning about the biochemical pathways of cancer. So I was mm-hmm. looking for a cancer research uh, PhD project. Right. And the, there were a couple I was looking at, and one in particular was based in a physics department using optical tweezers and lasers mm-hmm. for cutting, and it was to cut and tweeze chromosomes mm-hmm. to create fluorescent probes, fluorescent in situ hybridization probes. Right, okay. So the, these are DNA probes that will light up inside a cell and tell you, you know, if a, if a DNA sequence is in the correct order, red, amber, green. And if you put yeah. your fluorescent probes and in, so it's the wrong order. these are targeted towards these chromosomes, the, yeah. the bundle of DNA within yeah. the cell. Yeah. So it can all be done within the cell. Yeah. Uh, I went for that project and it was 50-50 physics and biology. But then when I started, I got really interested in the physics side mm-hmm, of things mm-hmm. and the optical tweezers and what we could do with optical tweezers, not just cutting and moving bits of chromosome. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But all the, I got involved in all sorts of projects using optical tweezers for all sorts of different things. Right, and I just I thought this is so much that we can use this tool yeah, for in yeah. biology. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try and learn as much as I can about using like, lasers in biology. Yeah, you were in that the perfect position to realise that, having that sort of interdisciplinary Yeah, I think, well, you know, I know, I know what samples that would work really well with this type of laser beam and what you know I I could see some really nice biological questions because I was straight out of a biology degree and I was using these tools in the lab so it was it was quite nice and because I was working half in the biology department half in the physics department I got to know all the 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 staff in the biology department and they were all doing really diverse things working with really diverse samples from fruit fruit flies to mouse cells to whole mouse organisms and Mm -hmm. um that that was really nice being part of two departments, learning about all the hot topics in biology and also learning about all the hot topics in physics at the same time and making the connections between the two and seeing where one field could have a real impact on another field. And then I um I, I stayed in physics departments 
using lasers mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. biological applications. And then 10 years ago, I came here to Heriot Watt on a fellowship to take that further, to mm-hmm, use optical mm-hmm. tweezers yeah. and um, build the biophotonics group. Yeah. So I guess it's just a case of, you know, following where your interests take you. I think so. And yeah. then you find yourself in a physics building. <laughs> so. I think if, if, um, if you're always interested in asking questions, then you're you're a scientist and Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. if that's the thing that gets you up in the morning and stimulates you then yeah trying to stick to a a job in science because (laughs) you're always learning and always Mm -hmm. asking questions and every day is a school day and every day it just becomes apparent how little I actually know about everything especially physics because I don't have Mm -hmm. a physics degree Um, and because I spent so much time learning physics, stepping away from the biology and trying to learn the optics, optical tweezing and Mm -hmm. um, the physics. I feel like I've not kept up to date with the biology. So I think every day I try not to be so overwhelmed about how much I don't know. Don't know, I think you have to realise that's just part of the job every day. You're going to be terrified about how much you don't know. And every time, as you learn more, you you realise that you you know even less. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That definitely sounds very brave, moving into a physics department with a background in biology, because having a background in biology ourselves, I, I don't know about you, Carl, yeah, but definitely, definitely it, is, it always seems so intimidating when I... It was, you know, it was actually, it was, it, was, it was an easy decision for me because I just felt like when I met the group before I, I moved into the position, I felt like it would be a very supportive group and it yeah, was a very supportive yeah. group and... Mm-hmm. You know, I was be I was being fit. taught every day in the lab, and, mm-hmm. um, and my skills in biology were appreciated, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I felt valued every day. But I, f- I also felt like I was learning so much and so supported in the physics side. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's key as well. Yeah, to, no, that's really to feel like it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there there are people there that can support you yeah. in your <laughs> in your new avenue, in, yeah. in your new area. Yeah. And it shows that if you sit down and, you know, for example, record a podcast (laughs) with two people who know nothing about optical tweezers or the tweezability of of (laughs) yeast, (laughs) that, uh, yeah, after having a chat, you really can understand a bit more about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, yeah, so the things that we've talked about today, um, basically using light to to trap cells, which have termed optical tweezers. Um, So this has all kinds of implications for biological applications um, trying to pick out individual cells that might not be so easy to identify in sort of standard methods. So I think one of the examples we talked about was trying to pick out a certain type of bacteria or microorganism that would live in seawater that if you were to just put seawater onto a petri dish to try and get it to, to grow, uh, uh, this particular type of bacteria to grow, it wouldn't. So by picking these cells out, by using the optical tweezers, we can get around that problem and, and fully understand all of the different uh, microorganisms that live in a particular sample. Um, we talked about the the difficulties of, of working with different cells, uh, uh, again, I'm going to go back to my favourite word of this morning, tweezability, and the fact that yeast from uh, Tesco's uh, that's about five microns apart is the perfect tweezability um, for testing out your different um, laser setups. Um, yeah, and then 
I guess we we moved on to to talking about your background and how you started off in molecular biology and then again just followed these the the, the things that fascinated you um, in using light to try and interrogate what's going on inside a cell um, and then that led you down a path that was perhaps more physics orientated but again still always using this multidisciplinary aspect to try and understand um, not only uh, how how well the these sort of laser tools work but also how it could be applied in real life to try and you know understand more about biology and p- perhaps accelerate medical physics to try and to try and help people um, in the long run i guess i don't know if i missed anything out there but no i think um, that's real summarized yeah, yeah well done. <laughs> but no it's no it's it has it's been it's been fascinating speaking to you um no yeah that was really interesting <laughs> no it was good to to speak to someone who had yeah came from a biology background and moved over into physics um, it gives you an idea that like there's so many different fields like many fields that you can go into like mm-hmm, i have never mm-hmm. heard about optical tweezing yeah um, i think she, it's important to have people like lynn in that field so that you know it's not just a group of physicists playing with yeah. lasers in a dark room and yeah. you know it has that uh, <laughs> it translation really yeah yeah that translational aspect of, of actually what can we do to to try and affect and have an impact in biology yeah um but no and definitely my take-home word of the day was the tweezability of yeast which is yeah. i'm just going to be able to remember that now forever. yeah definitely um great word so yeah um and i hope everybody enjoyed listening to it today um as much as i enjoyed the conversation and recording it um so of course catch the podcast at not exactly rocket science.fm yeah yeah and see you maybe at some point in the future but you'll see duncan and dominic next week <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so weird